We've been talking about being in Christ and that there's a lot available to us in Christ. We've been talking, last week we started talking about healing. We're going to continue talking about healing this morning. Uh, Let me review a little bit of the concepts that we covered last week. We learned that a lot of people get their theology from experience. We learned that experience can lie. Um, It'll tell you that a mistake is a failure because experience doesn't explain why. It just tries to apply the past to the future and assumes that things won't change. Um, Very important that you understand this. So I'm going to share another story. when I, I got a car, I don't remember what car it was. It was my 99 Nissan Maxima, I think it was, 98 Nissan Maxima. Um, anyways, I, I got this car, and I was very thrilled with this car, until winter came. And I discovered that in the winter, it did not like to go where you wanted it to go. It was fun in a parking lot when no one else was around, but on the road, it was kind of annoying because you go around a corner and it just, it's, it's front-wheel drive. It's supposed to drive well in the snow. It just did horrible. The back end would just go flying everywhere and it just did horrible. I'm like, this is stupid. But like, what can I say? My car is stupid in the snow. So I just assumed that this car was horrible in the snow. As time went on, I realized that my tires were probably not the best. They still looked like they had tread on to me. It wasn't like the bald wonder of the world. It was just, they didn't look like they had all the life in them that they should. I'm like, I can make it another year. I'll, I'll get them replaced before the following winter. Well, that was a bad idea because I, I was postponing about a $400 um, that was going to cost me to get some new tires on it. It ended up costing me about two and a half grand as I ended up in the ditch on the, off the highway. Because of it, smashed in the front end and did a bunch of damage and had PLPD. So uh, $2,500 later, got it fixed, ended up getting new tires. It drove great in the snow with the new tires. Like, that is so stupid. So stupid. Now, I thought that experience had taught me that my car just stunk in the snow. But what I learned was that was a lie. My tires stunk in the snow. And life often teaches us a lesson, but it's the wrong lesson. And we go on with things like, I prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed, so God doesn't answer my prayers. And life will often try to teach us something that's a lie. And experience will lie to you in going, well, I guess I should just give up because I tried and failed. We learned not just to listen to that. We learned that God offers healing to us. That Jesus went around healing all who were oppressed of the devil. We learned that he is the exact representation of the Father. So what Jesus showed us is what God wants. And when he went around healing people, it shows us that's what God wanted. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if this is what God wanted then, that is what God wants today. We, we know if you follow through the Gospels, Jesus didn't heal to show that he was divine. He healed because he likes people and wanted to see them whole. I think it's eight times as you read through the Gospels, you'll find where it says, and he had compassion on them and healed the sick. Where it linked him healing people to him having compassion. So his wanting to see people healed wasn't a divine look at me deal. It was a this is what I want for people. Very important for us to know and understand that God wants us healed. We learned that faith comes from God's word. We learned that a lot of people struggle because hope comes from desire. Faith 
comes from a promise. And most people live in hope and wonder why they don't get the answer that comes from faith. In order to have hope, all it takes is a desire. How many guys would like a million dollars? Cool. That's all it takes to have hope. In order to have faith, it takes having a promise to stand on. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We learn that God wants to see these healings in our lives, and he wants to see us used to bring healing into other people's lives. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. Hey, that's our recap as fast as I could condense it. If you couldn't follow, that's okay. We have a podcast. You can listen to it later, and you can probably slow it down. I know I can slow down people, or I can listen to them in high speed, which is lots of fun for me. So, it might mean that I end up talking faster to you, so if so, I apologize. Because I listen to most sermons at time and a half. But, how many of you guys know who Naaman is? Okay, that means I get to tell a story. As two people are like, I know, I know. So for the rest of you, Naaman is a guy in the Bible. He was a general of the Assyrian army. The Assyrians and the Israelites, God's people, didn't get along very well. In fact, they frequently went to war against each other and the Assyrians were brutal. They were actually famous for their brutality. Um, like cutting pregnant people open, dragging things over them. Um, yeah, lots of just nasty, horrible things. I won't go into a long list because people are already looking sick, so we'll just avoid that. But know that they were famous for their brutality, which um, kind of produced great dislike for them. So then you come across this guy, Naaman. He was a general of the Assyrian army. As a general, in one of his raids, they'd kidnapped people, which is in amongst the things that they did, and they took them as, they killed a bunch, and then they took the little kids as slaves. He has this little girl as a slave in his house, but apparently he treats his slaves pretty nice because she wasn't like, I hope you die, you evil man. She saw that he got sick. He got leprosy. Bad disease, you don't want leprosy. Um, and so she, she's like, you know what? She's, she's working in the house and talking to Naaman's wife, and she's like, too bad my master isn't in Israel because there's a prophet there who could heal him. So she was wishing that he could be healed, so that speaks well of him. <clears throat> and the, the wife hears this, and she's like, Naaman, Naaman, you have got to go to Israel. There's this prophet there that can heal you. And he's like, really? So he goes to the king. He's like, hey, king. I want to go to Israel. I hear there's a prophet that can heal me. And the king's like, sweet. Writes a letter to the king of Israel. Here's my servant, the general of my army. He has leprosy. Heal him. And sends it with him, along with a bunch of gifts. Because they're going to heal him and he's going to give him gifts. And you're like, he shows up to the king. The king reads the letter and freaks out. He's like, ah, this guy just wants to start a war. This is just an excuse. How am I supposed to heal someone of an incurable disease? This is a trap. And the prophet sends a note and says, don't worry about it, send him to me. And I'm telling you this story because Naaman had an idea. He had a thought that almost killed him. Because he heard about this from this girl, and he thought he knew how it was going to play out. So he gets the king, got the permission, gets over to Israel. He gets sent to the prophet's house. And on the way, he's thinking about what's going to happen. And he's used to being an important person. As the general of the army, he's one of the most influential people in his entire country. And Assyria was a rising power at the time. And so he comes 
He shows up, knocks on the door, and Elijah doesn't open the door. He sends a servant to open the door. And you're like, well, he, maybe he didn't know. No, he knew who was there. He sent the servant with a message of what to tell Naaman when he answered the door. Which was a bit shocking to Naaman because he's used to being important and having like dignitaries come and see him and like want to make friends with him because he leads an army. So he's used to being respected. He doesn't feel very respected. And then the servant doesn't even do anything cool. The servant just comes out and is like, hey Naaman, uh, the, the prophet said to go to the Jordan River and to dip in it seven times and you'll be healed. Shuts the door and goes back. And Naaman freaks out. He's like, what? That's ridiculous. I thought, and you can find his thought in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 11. He says, I was angry, and he went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand and call upon the name of his Lord, his God, wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. And then he goes on, and he freaks out. He's like, the, the Jordan? The Jordan. Of all the rivers, the Jordan is a dirty, nasty river. Aren't all the rivers of Damascus better and cleaner than that one? Why do I have to go bathe in the nastiest river that you could find? Stupid, this is ridiculous. I can't believe this. I'm going home. And so he's yelling, screaming, complaining, and driving like an idiot because that's typically what angry people do. And so he's in his chariot and he's like... But as he finally winds down or took a breath, whatever came first, uh, eventually his servant gets to talk to him. It's like, so, Naaman, what would you have done if he gave you a great challenge? You know, maybe like, I, I think the Bible just records a great challenge. I'm going to give you just a randomness. Like, he, what if he told you to, like, climb a mountain, kill a bear, bite its heart while it's still beating? Like, I don't know. Like, something crazy. What would you have done? And he's like, You know, like, yeah, you, you do it if you think, like, yeah, I got to earn this healing with this, like, cool accomplishment. And he goes, then why not this simple task of wash and be clean? Because that's the term they would use. They would maybe they use either being made whole or being made clean for when someone was healed, uh, especially of leprosy. And so he's like, Fine. It's one of those arguments that you can't win, so you just like shut up. So he goes to the river, and he goes in, and he dunks. You know what happened? Nothing. So he dipped again, and nothing. And he dipped again, and nothing. And as the Bible records it, he dipped seven times before anything happened. And then after the seventh time, he stands up clean. And then he goes back to thank the prophet, and the story goes on, and there's interesting things. We can tell it another day. But I got thinking about this. He almost skipped dipping in the river because he had a thought. Because he had a preconceived idea of how this was going to go down. He thought, this is what God's going to do. This is how it's going to work. And God didn't work the way that he thought it was going to work. John the Baptist had a thought. Matthew chapter 3, tail end of it. You hear about John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist was actually a cousin of Jesus. As well, he was the forerunner for Jesus, and it says that he went to prepare a way. He began to preach repentance. He began to baptize people in the Jordan River. And as he's teaching and as he's doing this, um, he says that, hey, I'm preparing the way for one who come after me, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to untie. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with fire. And, and it goes through as he speaks and prophesies about Jesus. Jesus shows up. John the Baptist goes, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So John the Baptist recognizes Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus comes in and he's like, I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, this is what has to happen to fulfill all righteousness. So he goes, he baptizes him. As he baptizes Jesus and Jesus comes up, the sky opens up, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus, which is pretty cool. And then God speaks from heaven. Um, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John is right there. John gets to hear this. This is really cool. Now that is as close to a neon sign, like seeing the writing on the wall, as you get. You knew this. You spoke it. You watched the clouds open up. This happened. You watched. You heard as God spoke out of heaven. But if we fast forward to chapter 11, we discover that John had a thought. Because during this time, John gets arrested. John goes to jail. John sits in jail. The problem is, he's expecting, his thought is that Jesus is coming to set up a kingdom that is going to last forever. He's expecting a physical, political kingdom, and he did not understand that Jesus was going to come once to begin the kingdom in our hearts and to begin to create a way for us to be forgiven and to start a relationship again with God, and that later he would come and set up his kingdom to rule and reign on earth for all of eternity. He thought it was all going to happen at once. So he's waiting for Jesus to set up a political kingdom. Now, as he's waiting, he's going, I am in jail. They don't treat prisoners very good. Therefore, cousin, friend, Christ, Messiah, get me out of here. Messiah, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And Jesus didn't seem to be doing it the way that John thought he should. John began to doubt. John began to wonder. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, he sends his disciples to Jesus. He goes, guys, I want you to go to Jesus and ask him. And Jesus Are you the one, or should we look for another? I read that once, and I just looked at it. I'm like, how could John be asking this question? John already told people, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John, you heard God speak from heaven. But then I realized... There's been times that I knew who God is, what God says, and what God wants. 
and something happened. And I was over here going, are you really the one? And so I said, well, what happened to John? Maybe that's what happened sometime to us. John thought, I know how this is going to work. And when God didn't do it his way, it began to shake things. Because he had a thought. A couple years ago, when I say a couple, I mean two years ago, one month, and 16 days. We had an interesting series of events. We were expecting our second child. We were due August 25, I believe it was. It was either 25 or 28. And we went to a wedding. We got, my wife got a little bit dehydrated. It was really hot. They ran out of water. Which you're not supposed to, don't get dehydrated if you're pregnant. Um, hopefully you don't need to know that right now, but keep that on file. Um, girls, guys, you'll never get pregnant. If you do, you have problems, we'll pray for you. Um, but, but so anyways, so uh, my wife began to have contractions two months before she's supposed to have a baby. You're not supposed to go into labor there. Braxton Hicks can come at about any point, and if you're, I should probably translate that since most of you guys don't deal with lots of pregnant people. Braxton Hicks means your body practicing contractions so that it knows what to do when you're in labor and help build some of those muscles, and it's very painful and unproductive. Um, translation. So she starts having some of those, and you're like, well, lay down, relax, because... It's really what they tell you to do is just do nothing. And they're supposed to stop um, or stop shortly. So we're like, oh, well, it's bedtime. Lay down. You get lots of time to lay down right now. So lay there. I'll lay over here, and I'll talk to you in eight hours. And so I'm all like ready to, uh, to just go to sleep. And so she's like, they're still happening. I'm like, okay, stop happening in Jesus' name. And I can roll over. And then she's like, they're, they're getting worse. Call the doctor. I call the doctor, and they're like, well, it's kind of late at night, and so it's the on-call, like, you call, you tell them you have a problem, and they're like, great, the doctor will call you back. And you're like, why didn't I just talk to the doctor? Anyways, so um, doctor's supposed to call us back in third side of 30 minutes, and she starts timing them, and says, they're getting closer, and they're getting closer, and so I'm like, all right, we're going to just, we just got to go to the hospital. And so call a friend, have somebody come over so that our oldest, who was like a year and a half at the time, would be, um, wouldn't be alone. And we start heading to the hospital. The doctor finally calls us back. and He's like, you should probably go to the hospital. Like, Thanks, we're on our way. And so we show up there, and we get there, and we're just like, all right, they're just going to give us a shot and send us home. And they'll give us a little shot, like, this will stop you from having labor now and so that you can sleep, and you'll be fine, and we'll see the baby in, like, two months. We get there, and they're like, uh, you just want to push? The baby's ready to come. And you're like, shut up. How do we keep it inside? <laughs> like, it's not ready yet. There's like a nine-month cook process. If you pull them out early, they're not done. Like, they're still developing. There are important things that develop in the latter months, like lungs. Like, they, they keep developing. Breathing is important. You want to keep the baby in the belly. And they're, they're, they're like, um, if you push, it'll pop. And she's sitting there holding on. And they finally found out we got some... Uh, 
steroids in her that were supposed to help him develop his lungs at a, ha- right, at a rapid rate because he was going to make an early debut. And this was kind of difficult because we'd been praying over this pregnancy. And we'd been believing. In our praying and believing, the idea and the thought that we had in our prayer for a strong, healthy baby, we believe that included a full term. And so we're praying and we're at the hospital. And they're telling us, your baby is coming out now. What I thought was going to happen, what I thought God was going to do, and what was happening, weren't lining up. After seven hours, it was as much, they said the baby's heart rate looked like it was starting to, to, to drop. She go, okay, ready or not, here he comes. And out he came. And he was there two months early. We spent uh, 20, 21, 23 days in the NICU, uh, the neonatal intensive care unit at Spectrum. It was not what we had been praying for. And it shook us. Because you're praying, believing. Now, as as time progressed, you have doctor's appointments, and they had us fill out these like little charts of like, well, what's he doing? You know, when's he starting to try to make sounds? And when's he trying to repeat things? And does he track with his eyes? And does he try to pick things up? And what fingers does he use when he picks things up? And all along the way, they give you like all these like weird questions. When do they start lining things up? And when do they start sorting things and organizing things and noticing things? And as, as we're going through this, this, all these different evaluations, they were very frustrating. When the doctor's giving you a test and letting you know that your kid is on the bottom of the charts because they were born early and they're not as smart as they should be and they don't do what other kids do that are their age, it's like, this is stupid. By the time he was two, my wife dreaded these things. And then I think it was either 18 months or at two years checkup. She filled out the form and he came back. She came back and said, he's really doing all these things? Oh, yeah? Not only has he caught up to the kids that were stayed in until they were supposed to and would have been born when he was supposed to be born, not only did he catch up to those that actual birthdays that were supposed to be born on the day that he came out early, but he's now topped the charts for those babies. As he's now smarter, doing more than them. He was in the top couple percent. And in hindsight, I can look back and go, my baby's strong, healthy, and when we were in the NICU, we got to pray with some people. We had some people through some of the ministry that happened there. They got saved. I can rewind further and go back. We told God, God, use us any way that you can, any way that you want. The answer is yes, even if we don't know what the question is. Go ahead and use us. Not that I had in mind that that would end up taking us through a spout at the NICU so that we could open up doors and minister to people and that our child would be fine. But I had a thought. 
And it didn't work out the way that I thought. And I can go back and I can see that when John's disciples sent, came to Jesus, Jesus' response to them wasn't, go slap John. Tell him I'm awesome. It wasn't, go slap John. It wasn't even, go tell John to remember the voice that he heard booming from heaven. He just looks, looks at him and goes, tell John what you see. John's been hearing about what's been happening. That obviously isn't helping. And he listed. The lame walk, the blind see, and he listed several things. Which didn't mean much to me at first. Until you realize that in Psalm, in Psalms, in Isaiah chapter, I want to say it's 61. These things are all prophesied of the Messiah. So what Jesus in effect is doing is he's saying, stop looking at what you thought was going to happen and start looking at what I promised. Because what I promised is coming to pass. And I realized that a lot of times we pray and something doesn't happen the way we thought. And so we throw it all out. Just like John was ready to throw out Jesus as the Messiah because it wasn't happening into a political kingdom when he thought it should. A lot of times we go, well, I prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. So healing must not be for me. Healing must not be for today. God must not want to answer my prayers. Maybe, maybe if I could get the pastor to pray, then God would do something. But apparently, God doesn't care about me. Apparently, my faith isn't good enough. Apparently, and it's so easy to get derailed. But as I began to look through the Bible, I discovered something. There's a lot of times where things didn't happen right away the way that they thought or the way that they wanted. If you go back to Elijah, a little boy died. He prayed for him three times. He cried to the Lord. And then the life of the child came into him again and he revived. How many times did you pray for a dead kid? Before you go, he's dead. It's done. Think about it, for real. Once. If you would pray for a dead kid once, you've got more faith and more guts than most everybody. But what about when you prayed and nothing happened? Because a lot of people would go, God, why didn't you raise him from the dead? In fact, I've actually had a conversation with somebody who was very upset because they prayed for somebody who was dead and the dead guy, dead guy, didn't get back up. And they knew it wasn't God's will that they were dead and they couldn't make sense of it. But he just prayed again. And what happened? Nothing. So he prayed again. And the boy got up. Fast forward. Elisha, his predecessor, has a mom come to him. My son just died. 
And he hands his staff that he uses for all sorts of stuff and seeing lots of miracles with. He hands it to his servant and says, run, don't let anybody stop you, and go place it on the boy. Runs like mad, gets there, places a stick on the boy. You know what happened? Nothing. Comes back to, to Elisha. Says he's still dead. Elisha goes up, takes the boy up to his, I think, actually I think the mom had already put him in his room. Walks up to the room, lays himself out, stretches himself out on the dead kid to pray for him. Okay, that's awkward, just for the record. You have got to be moving in faith if you're like, all right, I'm going to lay myself on the dead kid and then he's going to get up. You're like, you better be believing or you're just weird. You know what happened? Nothing. So he gets up, paces back and forth, lays on him and prays again. The boy sneezes seven times and gets up. That's both weird and awesome. Rewind back to Elijah. There was a drought for three years, and it's his fault. Because he said, it won't rain again until I say so. He just spoke to the the king who was evil and said, this is what's going on. And it's not going to rain. And he went and hid, and it didn't rain for three years. Bunch of cool stuff goes down. It's another story, too long to tell right now. But at the end of this, he goes, all right, run, because you need to outrun the rain on a clear blue sky. And the king's like, what? He goes and he prays. God, let it rain. He sends his servant. He says, go look over there. Tell me if you can see a cloud. Goes up, comes back. No clouds. Prays again. Go check if you can see a cloud. Goes back, comes back. No cloud. Seven times. And after seven times, he comes back. Well, over the sea, there's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. How on earth did you see that? But how many times did you have prayed? How many times did you pray before you go, well, God must not want it? Because he kept praying, and then there's this little cloud, and rather than being like, well, stink, he's like, sweet, done. Run. Run like mad. Here it comes. And then, like, these clouds turn into massive clouds all of a sudden, and then there's massive rain. Like, that's weird, cool thing. How many of you guys have ever prayed for somebody and had them get, like, just a little bit better? Okay. You're in good company. First off, I want to say I'm proud of you for praying for somebody. If you never pray for somebody, you'll never see someone get healed when you pray for them. Pretty simple. There's a story I read this morning. This is actually, I changed my sermon this morning when I read this verse. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus prayed for a blind man. First, he spit on the blind man. Real kind. So, um, Let him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes, he laid hands on him. I met Jesus. What do you do? Hacked in my face. Thank you. But I couldn't punch him because I couldn't see. So uh, Jesus prays for him. So what do you see? I see men 
like trees walking. Verse 5, please. No, sorry. This is 23. We were in... Anyways. What did Jesus do? Jesus laid hands on him, his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. I thought about this. Jesus prayed for him twice. How many times did I give up after once? Or how many times did I throw my faith away after once? How many times did I say, what I thought was going to happen didn't happen? So it must not gonna it must not be it must not be gonna happen. That's not right English, but you get the point. Be what's gonna happen. There you go, that's the missing word. <laughs> and I realized that time and time again I see people have a preconceived idea of what's gonna happen. And I've had them. And then, when it doesn't work out that way, they let go. But what would have happened if Elijah would have only prayed for the dead boy once? What would have happened if Elisha would have sent the kid with the stick, or the servant with the stick, and then maybe prayed for him and just once? How many miracles are missed out on because we go, well, it didn't happen the way that I thought it should happen, so I gave up. And, I, and I, I looked, in fact, forget my notes, they go too long. Last week, you guys were praying for people. If you weren't here, you missed out. Students prayed for each other, students prayed for whoever wanted healing, it was awesome. Um, talked to a student this morning and she's, she said, oh, I forgot to tell you last week, I had knee problems and my knee was healed. I said, Great. How many times did they pray for you? Twice. After the first one, it was maybe a little bit better. After the second one, I was healed. I went over there. For those who weren't here last week to hear the story, I just rolled my ankle and sprained my ankle a week, week or so ago. Um, I guess two weeks now, but it was about just about a week before. I said, I went over there. I'm like, all right, students, you're praying for people, pray for me. Boom. They prayed for me. And if there was like 100% healing that needed to happen, they prayed for me, there was maybe 4%. It was like, yeah, there's a little bit of difference. And I could have just walked away and said, well, guess that shows how much faith my students got. <laughs> like I could just walk away and claim that this is what I get. Oh, it's about 4%. No, I just said it's a little better. So, all right, let's pray again. Bring it on. Put my foot back up on the bench, and they all laid hands on it again. And they begin to pray again. And in a matter of a minute, two minutes, however long it took them to pray for my foot, it went from 4% to 80%. Like that. I took it down, and I was like, I can roll it around. 
this is awesome. And I'm like, this is, this is huge. The, the, the thing, why I didn't have him pray for it a third time is beyond me. I just might as well should have gone the last 20%. But then I went and I'm like, well, it's just like a bruise, whatever. Um, and realized that I wasn't still fully there and went and did more damage to it and then had to go through the healing. But that's another story. What would have happened if I stopped at one? I share this because I believe that there's a lot of you who have stopped at one. Maybe you stopped at six. It took Naaman seven. It took Elijah seven times when he prayed for rain. Jesus shares several parables that I think are weird about being persistent, about not giving up, about continuing to pray. And I believe that if you'll keep praying, you'll see God move. And I want to give a chance for those that say, you know what, I still need healing. Or those that say, I want to pray. In a minute, the band, you guys can come up. We're going to have a chance to pray for them. But as the band comes up, I want to ask you guys to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you say, but I don't know that Jesus, that Jesus that loves me, that Jesus that wants to heal me, I want a relationship with him. I want to see God's will done in my life. I want to know that I'm right with him on my way to heaven. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. When I say three, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, get ready. Two, this is your chance to make him your Lord, to know that you're on your way to heaven. Three, raise up your hands nice and high. So that's me. Awesome. Who else is that's me? Most important decision that anybody ever makes. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Whether you raised your hand for the first time or you say, you know what, I've done this before, then go ahead and join us as we call on God's name. Say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.